they're not in your worship folder, they would love for you to indicate, do you have uh, various equipment at home? Do you have skills? Uh, they would love to know uh, what you can contribute to the needs of others, um, or if you're available at a certain time, just to help out. So this is a very important uh, beginning of a, kind of a database for them to work with. And uh, guys, I've got a brand new power washer. It's the, uh, see, it's the Honda Z90. It's great, man. It's a nice, strong PSI. So count on me, all right? I can power wash. All right. So um, I'm in on this. And uh, if you would like to, we'd love to have all of you participate and uh, be part of that. Now, next Sunday night, would love for you to be here. Please uh, put this on your calendar. Sunday night at 7 o'clock, we are going to have an evening service. And it is a worship service to acknowledge God's calling on Brandon Edmonds' life. We are calling him as an associate pastor. And so we are meeting here in a worship service, and there will be an installation of of Brandon and an ordination of Brandon uh, to serve as a pastor. So we're going to have a worship that night, and we'll have a reception following. We'd love for you to be part of it, 7 o'clock next Sunday night, December 2nd. So I know for you parents, that might throw off your evening schedule with the kids, uh, but maybe I hope you can make it. So uh, please keep that in mind, okay? And uh, I would love to talk to you also uh, afterwards. You can indicate this on, on the welcome card or just talk to me afterwards or talk to the deacons. If you'd like to be part of the communion setup, uh, that's also something we're getting organized for the coming year. Uh, very simple, uh, but would love to have some more people involved with that. So those are some opportunities for you there. Um, let me pray for us, okay? Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, thank you for uh, this moment that we have before your word. Uh, Father, it's been, a, am sure, a very full last few days for everyone. We come, Lord, and we ask that you would um, really make, uh, make, this, make this become alive to us in, in new and fresh ways. We're grateful, Father, for the, the grace that, is, that has brought us Jesus, and it is compelling grace. It, 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 mo- it is a moving grace. It, it is not static, but it is active. And so, Lord, uh, be among us as our active God. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're just going to drop down and uh, take a moment and look at this text in Matthew 16. Uh, And again, as Jesus responds to Peter's ideas, uh, we're going to take a look at that. A noted English architect, uh, Sir Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. And a journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. And so he chose three workers and asked them uh, this question, what are you doing? So the first replied, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. Uh, The second responded and said, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. And the third said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. It's a well-known story, uh, been used among uh, pastors for years. But it is an account of someone, the last worker who understood 
that their work was vitally connected to the architect and that what they were constructing was something beautiful. The other two were not really uh, aligned with anything that was going on except just putting in time. They were loosely associated with the project, but not really from their hearts. And one person had full life alignment. They weren't just putting in bricks. Uh, They were cooperating with the design determined by someone else, and they had become caught up with the beauty of the project and were wholeheartedly in it. For us to be wholeheartedly in it in the Christian life, there has to be a radical change in the orientation of our heart. It doesn't happen all at once in this sense that we are converted all at once uh, the, the radical change we call regeneration takes place uh, at once. But the working out of it, of the full implications, well, we don't really fully gr- grasp it at any point in this life. But the full alignment takes time. Just think about this situation here where Peter, who has walked with Jesus, there are 37 miracles attributed to Jesus written down for us in, in our Gospels. Peter probably saw every one of them, and probably saw more. He saw Jesus cast out demons. He saw Jesus heal diseases. He saw Jesus speak to the waves from a boat. Imagine following someone who talks to waves and talks to wind, and they obey him. Peter had seen a lot of things, and you would think at this stage in Matthew's gospel Jesus is explaining everything. Peter's a disciple, a follower. And you would think that if any, anything that Jesus says would be readily accepted. Um, and Peter opposes Jesus with this whole idea that he's going to go and suffer. Now, um, what I want to do is I want to give you a few key ideas here. Just by way of some... some some ideas about this text. And one of the things that I want to impress upon you is that what Jesus does for the disciples, he's going to do for us. What Jesus does for the disciples is he brings about a crisis. He brings about a crisis, and it is around these two questions, and I'll repeat this again later in the message, but the two questions are essentially this. Who do you perceive yourself to be, and who do you perceive God to be? Now, what Jesus does is he will create a kind of crisis in the, in the disciples. This means that their perceptions of themselves are going to be shaken to the very core, and their perception of God is going to be radically changed. Jesus is going to bring about a crisis, and it even to just get a sense of it, already we sense that Peter doesn't want this crisis. Uh, I I don't want you to die. We've got something going here. I don't want this to come crashing down and end in death. And so Peter has to be rebuilt in order to become a follower of Christ. He's following Christ now. 
he looks like he's a disciple. But there are deep issues in Peter's heart and life that need to be addressed. At the core, what has to be addressed in Peter's life, in my life, is my determined autonomy. My determined way of living where I make the decisions, I choose what's important, where I am engaging in my tiny little world that I think I control. So just by way of a couple of main ideas here, uh, let me just give you the first one. Jesus has come to create full alignment, theology with full life integration. Jesus has come to bring full alignment. So Peter has, in our context, just made a brilliant theological statement. He has done well. He has been the one who, of all the disciples, had it, got it right. Who do the people say that I am? Various rumors. Who do you say that I am? This is the purpose of my real training, to train you. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the, the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. Uh, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. So if you grasp that Jesus is the anointed one, Son of God, your Savior, if you grasp that, you are blessed. If you do not dismiss that, uh, you have not been blessed. If you do not dismiss that, you have been blessed. If you disregard Jesus, uh, you need the blessing of God to open your eyes to see who he is. Peter does, makes this beautiful theological statement, and it's true. But at the same time, we realize the full integration of his life has not taken place. He understands partially who Jesus is, and now he needs to understand fully that Christ is going to go and suffer. So I'm not going to say a lot about this, but that's really what's going on, that there are times when an individual will be very excited about theology. I have a lot of theology books. I love theology, good theology. Theology is a servant, a servant in the church, a servant to, to us. Good theologians are servants to us. But what does this theology do for you? What does it do for you? Or how are you, do you plan to use it? There needs to be a full life integration of good theology. So, major point now, the second one is this, that Jesus has come to shake us to the core with essentially two questions. Again, those two questions are, who do you perceive yourself to be, and who do you perceive God to be? Now, I get these from a fantastic commentary on the Gospel of Mark from a professor at... St. Louis, the Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, the PCA's National Seminary. His name is Dr. Hans Bayer. And it is a fantastic uh, commentary 
a really unusual one because it's, uh, it's, you could almost read it devotionally. Very interesting how he puts this together. But Jesus has come to shake us to the core with essentially two questions. Who do you perceive yourself to be and who do you perceive God to be? I'll spend most of my time on that first one. Who do you perceive yourself to be? Now, let's take a moment for Peter. As he is resisting the idea that Jesus is going to go suffer, and he says, far be it from you, Lord. This is never going to happen. Let's ask this question. What's going on in Peter's self-perception at that moment? Is he just sort of, uh, is, he, is there something about this statement that tells us about Peter? What's his self-understanding? Jesus corrects him sharply, and much more is going on here than, Peter, you are just wrong. Peter is inserting his ideas about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. Peter is in control. Peter is expressing how he views life. There's a place for Jesus. There's also a place for Peter's ideas. Jesus openly opposes him and says to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance or an obstacle to me. Now, some have observed that perhaps, literally, as they began to walk toward Jerusalem, and they were already on the way to Jerusalem, perhaps they were on a particular road, and perhaps Peter, as he keep, he's been hearing about this suffering, Jesus has been teaching about it, and he's, he's fed up with this, and finally he steps in front of Jesus so he's between Jesus and Jerusalem, and he's literally saying, no, this is not going to happen. I'm stopping you, right? Maybe literally he was in front of Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus says this. He says that you are setting your mind, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Well, what are the things of of man in this passage. Well, some of you are aware that the Jewish expectation was that when Messiah came, he would set up shop in Jerusalem and that he would begin to reign. And so this was mixed in with the ideas of David, uh, the, the next, the final David coming and beginning his reign. And so we embrace the idea that Jesus is the final David. And we certainly embrace the idea that Jesus is reigning. That's central to what we all believe. But the idea that Jesus wouldn't set up shop in Jerusalem and begin to reign and begin to put the Romans in their place and begin to set things in order, well, that was just contrary to how they all accept, understood things. And Peter is embracing a rather popular idea. So the things of man are what can be set up now. What, what can we put into action now? And, of course, just think in terms of all the momentum that Jesus has going for him. He has crowds. He has magic powers over the demons, over diseases. You can just see, imagine Peter saying, are you kidding me? This is all going to come crashing down and you're going to die? We're just getting started. And then Peter's self-perception is essentially, I can... I can help you here, Jesus. I can stop this. Um, first of all, you have to listen to me. Um, 
I can make sure that you're okay, and you're not going to die. Why was it so important for Peter to speak out and to resist this idea that Jesus suffers? Why is it so important to Peter? What we know about Peter is that he does love admiration from people. He does love to be noticed. He tends to separate himself from the other disciples. I don't know if you've noticed this. As they get closer to Jerusalem and... uh, and as they, excuse me, as they're in Jerusalem and Jesus is explaining how they're all going to scatter, they're all going to run from him. Peter, of course, is the one who separates himself from the others and says, well, I can understand these guys. But me, you can count on me. I will never deny you. Right? And of course, Jesus at that moment says, actually, Peter, you're going to be the first one and you're going to deny me not just once. It will be done. You'll do it three times. The point is this. Peter, in his self-perception, always seemed to separate himself from the other disciples. He was the one who could control things, manage things. He was strong. So when we get back to the basic question is, who do you perceive yourself to be? Peter in this statement is, in this moment, is he's the strong one. He's the wise one. Does he need his whole life to be rebuilt? No. He doesn't perceive it that way at all. Peter's self-understanding is about to undergo a radical review and change. Peter the reliable will become Peter the denier. Peter the bold will become Peter the petrified. Peter who separates himself and exalts himself above others will become Peter the humbled. Peter who actively resists a suffering Messiah will become Peter the embracer. Peter, who couldn't wait for a glorious kingdom to arrive, will learn to wait for that glorious kingdom and accept the kingdom of grace for now. Peter will be rebuilt as the question, who do you perceive yourself to be, is answered in this. I am a rebel, radically loved, who cannot recover from this love that has made an indelible mark on my soul. Peter will be rebuilt by seeing with new spiritual eyes. For even if Jesus must surrender his will to the Father's purposes, so Jesus, so Peter must now surrender his will. Peter is corrected in order to learn how to accept what at first seems impossible. How can a king be a king through suffering? How can a kingdom be established through weakness, suffering, blood, and death? Something is revealed to Peter that he will not want to see in and of himself, and this is true for all of us. So the crisis that includes a core question about one's identity is all important. What Peter lived for has been challenged. The words of Jesus are the most unusual gift the words of correction and rebuke. Peter, essentially, your life is not your own. It never has been. And as you hold on to your life, you will misunderstand everything. That was the most unusual gift. But it brought, it began a process of rebuilding Peter's life. The second question, I'm not going to spend very much time on this, 
think of our time today. But the second question, who do you perceive God to be? And I would say that this passage, how does it inform that question? Who do we perceive God to be? I would say that God is working at the level of what threatens me. God is working at the level of what threatens me. Have you ever thought about how afraid Peter really was at the core? Have you ever thought of a grown man who can't withstand the observations of a small of a, of a teenage girl around the campfire the night that Christ experienced all his trials? Have you thought of a man who's afraid of people's opinions? Peter is fearful of Christ dying. He doesn't really even seem to even hear Jesus speak about his resurrection. For Peter, how can there be a kingdom without a king who physically reigns in Jerusalem like David did? Any other concept for Peter was a threat to him, to his security, to his very identity. The idea that Jesus would suffer and die was such a threat to Peter that he openly opposed Jesus. One final thought, final point. Jesus has come to bring a complete rebuild of our lives, and to do this, we have to experience crisis. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think, wow, today is a day where God is going to work to bring change in my life. Do you think that way? Wow, today's a day when God's going to completely change every priority and purpose and goal that I have. We're pretty confident in our ideas and goals and purposes, aren't we? Do you think Peter ever woke up in the morning and said, Wow, it's so great to be with Jesus. He's going to shake me to the core. He's going to bring every presupposition and every single thing I think is important. He's going to bring it under the scrutiny of, of the kingdom of God. I'm so excited. I'm not asking for a complete rebuild of my life. Are you? Peter wasn't. He's seeing miracles. He's hearing amazing teaching. He's right there. So many people I meet want to, wish they could be back there 2,000 years in sandaled feet walking along the beach with Jesus, that that would somehow be some magical, bring with it some magic. If Peter couldn't, couldn't understand and he walked with Jesus, how about you and I? Do you know that you need a complete rebuild of your life? This highlights how we've domesticated Jesus, how we've compartmentalized I mean, did, did the disciples walk with Jesus for, you know, just a little slice of the weekend? <laughs> and then he, I'll catch, up, I'll catch up with you in Capernaum for an hour and a half in Capernaum next, next, next uh, Sabbath day. It was a complete rebuild 24-7. The crisis that Peter experiences is... Put in positively, the one that he's following is authorized. The one he is following is legitimate. 
The one he is following is the ruler. The one who he is following is preeminent. The one he is following is not someone who's just giving him tasks and rules. The one he is following is beautiful and worthy of adoration. And so it's the very presence of Jesus, it is the person of Jesus who makes this all so beautiful for Peter. Does Peter get rebuilt? Does Peter get rebuilt? Let me read for you the words that Peter uses for his first epistle. Peter says these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the opening salvo of his first epistle. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's a transform. That's not Peter in Matthew 16. Praise this God who's given us new birth and new hope through the resurrection. That's his opening salvo to his, his churches. The resurrected Jesus living in us, he has set up his reign, not in Jerusalem, but his reign is in heaven, but also in us through the new birth producing hope through the resurrection. Finally, Peter became a listener. And then verse 4, chapter 1, 1 Peter, and into, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is Peter the preacher. Only through the eternal offering of Christ Christ's body can we enter into a never-perishing, never-spoiling, never-fading inheritance. And this inheritance, Peter says, is kept in heaven for you. What's Peter doing? He's answering the question for his flock when he writes to them. He's saying, who do you perceive yourself to be? Are you loved through the death and resurrection and the current reign of Christ? Are you loved in that? Who do you perceive yourself to be? Anxious, trying to control, trying to establish? Or do you understand what Jesus has established for you? Who do you perceive yourself to be, my little flock? Do you perceive yourself to be loved eternally? Do you see yourself to be someone waiting patiently for the fullness of that kingdom to arrive? And it goes on. Peter's preaching in his first epistle. Who through faith are shielded by God's power? How about that? Peter wanted power when Jesus, when Jesus went into Jerusalem. Power, man. I've, you can imagine him just thinking to himself, I've seen nothing but power from you, Jesus. Let's bring it when we get into Jerusalem. Let's... We're going to see the most, the most special power when you get in Jerusalem, aren't we? Peter says, you are waiting until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter sees faith connecting us to true power that protects us. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. He's speaking to his, his flock. Through, though now for a little while you may have, have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter 
is a preacher of discipleship. Full alignment, life integration with this King Jesus. What good can come through suffering? He addresses that in his, his first epistle. And that for a little while you may have to suffer. And that's how he, that's how he concludes. But of course, he comforts his flock that a kingdom is already established and a kingdom is coming. Our salvation has been accomplished by this remarkable person, Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you perceive yourself to be? And who do you perceive God to be? And as we answer those questions, may we have full life alignment to his good purposes. Let me pray for us. Lord, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean? Lord, we come and ask that we, our fears, our perceptions, what we're holding on to tightly, what we can't imagine won't be fulfilled as we, as we live. But we take all that we, we would hold on to and we lay it at your feet. King Jesus, more beautiful, more able, than we imagine. Thank you for loving us so deeply, loving us at the place of our anxieties, loving us at the place where we need to be corrected. Father, help us to know that you're using us and that you're working. In the name of Christ we pray, amen, amen.